0: won't matter just a little money and some nice clothes it won't matter I know it won't matter it won't matter just a little money and some nice clothes I know my heart's right it's going to all work out God, I'll, I'll just work this out later. I, uh, it's not going to matter. I can only imagine how Achan's thoughts must have rolled around as they conquered that city. And he took just a little wedge of gold and one good Babylonian garment. Took them back to camp and hid them under his tent floor. Won't matter. Just a little money and some nice clothes. I can imagine that rolling over and over in his mind as Achan was tormented by the tent floor. Tormented by the tent floor as he rolled that thing around and around in his mind. And then came the call of God. Number the people. There's sin in the camp. There's problems going on. We're not conquering. We're not victorious. What's going on? There's something going on in the camp. And you know how that story goes. Joshua called the people together under the direction of God. God said, there's sin in the camp. Get up. Off your face, Joshua. Let's deal with it. And they began to check through the tribes. then they began to check through the families. And finally they got down to one man who was tormented by the tent floor. Just a little money and some nice clothes. That's all it was. And it cost that man and his children and his wife their life. Just a a little something for some security, some fulfillment. I'm thinking of another person now. This is a lady. Just a little something. Just in case God doesn't quite follow through. Oh, she was excited. It was time to go. It was time to journey. God was doing great things. She had expressed her mind, yes, let's follow God. But but just a little something here for security. I'm going to keep along. No one else will know it. No one else will know it. I'll hide it. If things don't work out, I I can turn to that. And even as we're going, God will understand. I know He's leading my husband. But... I just, I can just turn to this when I want to. Just me in my own tent. Rachel. When God called Jacob to go back to his homeland. She gave her blessing for that. But the Bible says she took some of her father's images along. Then came the day. That she heard her own husband's pronouncement. Wherever you find images, Laban, in this camp, let that person die. Rachel had those images hidden in the camel furniture. And she was sitting on top of the camel furniture in terror, tormented by what was under her seat, tormented by what she had hidden in the furniture. God was merciful to Rachel. I don't know what happened to those images. She didn't die then. One was tormented by the tent floor. The other was tormented by what was hidden in the furniture. My burden this afternoon for each of you is is something that I picture back at home in front of my desk, beneath my desk. It's something also that's under my chair on the floor. It's one of those clear plastic pads that the office chair rolls around on. One of those roller pads. And do you know what? My roller pad is getting some indentations. It's got some bumps, some holes, some some depressions where I've sat for long periods of time in the past. And I find, I've been finding that when I want to move my office chair somewhere else, or I want to sit up farther... It just wants to roll back into those same old depressions. That's the burden of this afternoon's message. I want to tell you about two individuals that I've known in the last five years. The burden of my heart makes me share this. Two different individuals, one a man, one a lady. One a boy, one a girl. Both of them have had experiences in years past of going to settings just like this or very similar. Both of them came away with new conviction, new courage, new resolution. I heard personally from both of them One of them came away with many new convictions and resolves, but then began to experience some of the same old experiences. Yes, came away with burden for this person's own life. A burden for other friends even and their path. A month went by. A couple of months before long, some of the same old patterns were went back to. Some of the same old friends. Some of the same old sources. And many of those convictions in both of these individuals' lives are now gone. That's the burden that I hold for you this afternoon. title of the message is Satan's Sweet Substitute. My commission for this afternoon was to speak on the subject of idolatry. Idolatry. Practical, biblical character qualities of youth with purpose. Issues pertaining to these subjects. We spoke about modesty, authority, loyalty, community, and the brothers specifically wanted the last day to address idolatry. It's not an easy subject to address. I'm praying for grace to be faithful. Satan's sweet substitute. An idol. Be careful, friend. You might be naming it whatever it might be in your life. I might have named whatever it might be in my life Joe's Sweet Sidecar. How many of you know what a sidecar is? What's a sidecar? Somebody share. Share. What's a sidecar? It's
1: attached to a regular motorcycle and it's got two tires on the side and it looks like a. Oval
0: Excellent description. That is exactly what I'm thinking of. A sidecar. I've never driven a motorcycle with one on, but it's on the side of a motorcycle. You've seen them going down the freeway, that funny little thing that sits there on the side that's just moving right alongside with the the motorcycle. And, And sometimes maybe a person sits in it or maybe supplies. I'm not totally sure. I don't know a lot about that, but I just had to think how... Satan's sweet substitute. I like to call it Joe's sweet sidecar. No, it'll just come along with me and Jesus, this thing over here. It's not not a substitute, but you know the problem with a sweet sidecar, friends, is the Bible says that straight is the gate and narrow is the way that leads unto life. It's a straight gate and narrow way and there's not room for a sidecar. As you sit in the saddle of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's a narrow way. There's no room for a sidecar. Satan's sweet substitute. So this afternoon for a little while, I want to consider what idolatry is. I'd like to give both an Old Testament and a New Testament scriptural basis for idolatry. Many places we could go. We'll just go to a few then I want to consider again what some of our potential idols might be. You've already thought about them. I believe you've already addressed them this week. But I guess it's just a last plea that you don't go back to any idol, any sweet sidecar that turns out to be a substitute for the Lord Jesus Christ. Finally, I'd like to give some scriptural warning and conclude with an awesome example of removing idolatry and filling with God. Why don't we stand for prayer? At the conclusion of the prayer, I'd like to sing this verse. As soon as we finish the prayer... If you could just sit down so we can see better this verse, we will sing that together as our prayer conclusion. Let's bow our heads. O oh Lord, our heavenly Father, I come before you this afternoon in weakness, Lord. Just praying one more time, you would meet with us, Father. One more time you would speak to us, Lord. I pray for courage. I pray for humility. I pray for sincerity. Lord, as the brother shared already, You condemn very strongly a false prophet. Father, I want to be true and faithful to You. I pray for grace that it be so. Thank You, Father, for each of these souls that Jesus died for, that You love very much. And they're not a number, Lord. There's 31 of them, but they're not a number. Now there's more, Father, and we're thankful for each one and and for the older ones and the little children too. They're not a number, they're a name, Father. You care about each one, and I pray, Lord, meet them where they're at. Hang on, Lord, don't let go. Oh, love that will not let them go, Father. And yet as we sing, I'm holding Him, He's holding me, we cry, Oh, Lord, hold on. Eternally. Father, help us to exalt exalt the Lord Jesus in our hearts as the King of our lives, the only One on the throne. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. sing the
1: tune. <laughs> the dearest
0: more beautiful as your hearts are more and more in these songs bless the Lord what's an idol the dictionary says an idol is an image of a God used as an object of instrument or instrument of worship in monotheistic belief it's any heathen deity also any object of ardent or excessive devotion or admiration, a false notion or idea that causes errors in thinking or reasoning, anything that has no substance but can be seen as an image in a mirror, any image or effigy, an imposter. That's my Webster Dictionary definition of an idol. I'd like to highlight again a couple of points. Any object of ardent or excessive devotion or admiration. A false notion that causes errors in thinking or reasoning. An imposter. Idolatry. Brother Kurt spoke about a working definition. I'd like to just give you... What came to my mind is a working definition for an idol in our lives, in our setting, in our situation. In 2010, I would just say an idol is anything in your life that results in competing affection to the Lord your God. Something you protect, something you sacrifice for, something that becomes a sweet, subtle passion. Remember the message this morning began. The Word of the Lord, in our opening message, spoke to us about a jealous God. God says, I'm jealous, that's My name. One place, I believe He says. The Lord whose name is Jealous. A jealous God. He will tolerate nothing else upon His throne. an idol, anything in your life that results in competing affection to the Lord your God. Something you protect, you sacrifice for, something that becomes a sweet, subtle passion. I offered that as a working definition. And if you need something repeated in this or any message, I'll be happy to share any of that uh, more later. I also wanted to mention that in the second message we heard today, as Brother Leslie shared about being givers, about giving. Our God is a jealous God. He wants us to give Him our complete devotion. But Satan wants us to give some devotion to a sweet substitute. Some little sweet substitute that we think is just a sidecar. We think we can just kind of take it along with me and and Jesus. As we roar down the highway of life, God says it's a narrow road and it 's a straight gate, and there's no room for sidecars or substitutes in my kingdom. Turn with me for a scripture in the New Testament to the first epistle of John, first John chapter five. The last verse. The last verse of 1 John chapter 5. The last verse of the whole book of 1 John. The last verse of this letter. John was an old man. John spoke much about the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. And having love in our hearts throughout This epistle of John. But the last words of this letter, of this aged apostle, that one who Jesus loved, that one who actually laid on the breast of your Savior and mine, that one who knew the Lord well, had these final words in the last words of this letter of 1 John. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. I would like you to say that with me together. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Now, I'd like you to say it again. And I'd like you to put your name instead of little children. So it'll be like this. Joseph, keep yourself from idols. And then let's conclude with what it says here. Amen. That means, be it so, Lord. That's what amen means. Be it so, Lord. So here we go. Put your name in there. Joseph, keep yourself from idols. Amen. That's a powerful scripture. That's the basis of this message this afternoon. You know, a couple of years ago I was working on a power line right of way. It was a right of way for Bonneville Power Company. It's a a major uh, power line that sources off the Grand Coulee Dam and and other places and, and brings electricity over the mountains to Portland and to Seattle and to other places. and under these big high power lines they try to keep the the way clear and sometimes in our spray work we get involved in that but there's usually roadways that wind down through those power line rights of way often they're 2 3 even 400 feet wide that is cleared to make room through the mountains for this power line and i just i never forgot the expression of a man as we were driving down one of these steep roads under the power line right-of-way, I met a man there who was coming in another four-wheel drive truck. And he w- it was labeled for Bonneville Power. He was working there. And I stopped and, and, and kind of pulled out of the way. And, and this man pulled up and he rolled down his window. And I said, uh, Can I do something for you? And here's what he said. He said, "Man." I'm looking for a truck-eating hole. I'm looking for a truck-eating hole. And it took me a moment to think about what he was saying, but then I realized there had just been a big rain, and this man, was his job was to drive this right-of-way road to look for a big washout or a hole in the road that would be big enough to swallow up a truck. That's what he meant. This thing's more than just something that's going to bump around. He meant something that could actually swallow up a truck. It was a serious washout. So he said, man, I'm looking for a truck eaten hole. And I've never forgot those words. And I've thought, how many times in my life Satan tries to put a truck eaten hole out there in the pathway. And it might be a little subtle, sweet substitute in my life that turns out to be a, a truck eaten hole. It's something that, that will swallow up your life and ruin your
1: pathway
0: of progress. I want to give you another illustration before I go on to an Old Testament passage that speaks of idolatry. I want you to each think about your own life. And I have read, and I've shared this different times, but I have read that an elephant that is to be used or trained, if you take that elephant when it's a baby, and I, know, I don't know how big a baby elephant is, pretty big, even a baby. But I've been told that if you take a baby elephant and put a chain around its foot and put a big strong stake in the ground, something that that baby elephant can't move, Attach it to a big post and a chain around that elephant's leg. That that baby elephant that is chained to that column or post will begin to realize and remember that chain around its foot. So much so that later when that elephant has grown and is big and powerful, I'm told that you could take a big, giant, powerful circus elephant that could be used to pull giant loads and you could put a chain around its foot and just tap a little stake in the ground and he won't go. He's convinced he's tied up because he's got a long memory and he believes that thing's still hanging on to him. My prayer this afternoon is some of you may have a long memory too. You may remember that chain that used to be around your foot. Maybe there's someone that's still looking at that chain around your foot. You're almost ready to be radical enough to ask the Lord to cut it off at any cost. But my prayer is that the devil won't come back as a deceiver and slip that chain around your foot and tap it to one little lie, some little stake that has no power at all except it has tremendous power in your mind and keep you in bondage. Idolatry. Turn with me to Second Kings Chapter Seventeen. Second Kings Chapter Seventeen. Going to do read a number of verses in this passage, and I think it's very important that we get this amazing account. We're thinking about idolatry, and we're thinking about not taking along a sidecar of some idol in our lives as we try to journey on this Christian life. I'd like to begin, I want to read two sections of this chapter. First, I'd like to read verse 6-15, 6-15, through 15. then I'd like to read verse 28 to the end of the chapter. I want to give you a little bit of the context of what's going on here. <clears throat> this is the destruction of the nation of Israel after many kings, and you realize perhaps by now, uh, those of you who are familiar with the Kings and the Chronicles and the history of Israel and the Bible, that, that shortly after Solomon, Solomon's son Rehoboam took the throne. And uh, uh, then God tore ten tribes away from Rehoboam and gave them to Jeroboam. And, and so the kingdom was divided. And you had the, the ten tribes and then you had two other tribes of which... Those two tribes were called the nation of Judah. The others were called the nation of Israel. What we're reading about here is the destruction of Israel. Judah lasted longer, but Israel, finally, after all their idolatry and their compromise, God finally consumed them. We'll read about that. 2 Kings chapter 17, verse 6. I think I'm going to have you do the reading again. I'm going to ask that you read biblically that you read loudly and give the sense with great uh, energy and enthusiasm. Let's start at verse 6 and read through verse 15 for the first section of this chapter. And, and Caleb, would you start there in the back and let's just go clear on across and then uh, back up the middle row over here with the girls and then back here. We'll work this way as we work through several passages. So go ahead, Caleb, and let's just let's try to read and see if you can make sure you're getting the story as we go.
1: Go ahead. In the ninth year of Hoshea, king of Assyria, took Samaria and carried Israel away into Assyria and placed him in Halah in Hamath, by the river of Gozim, and in the cities of the Medes. For so was that the children of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God which had brought them up out of the land of Egypt, from under the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and had feared other gods. And walked in the statutes of the heathen whom the Lord cast out from before the children of Israel, and of the kings of Israel that had made.
0: And the children of Israel did secretly those things that were not right against
1: the Lord their God, and they built them high places in all their cities, from the tower of the Watchmen to the fenced city, and they set them up images and groves in every high hill and under every green tree. And there they burnt incense in all the high places, as did the heathen whom the Lord carried away before them, and wrought wicked things to provoke the Lord to anger. For they served idols. Wherefore the Lord hath said unto them, You shall not do this thing the Lord testified against Israel and against Judah by all the prophets and by all the seers, saying, Turn me from your evil ways and keep my commandments and my statutes, according to all the law which I commanded my fathers, and which I sent to me by my servants and prophets. God withstand me, everyone apart from their neck, I stood in next of their fathers. that did not believe in the Lord their God. They despised the statutes and covenants that He made to the fathers, and the warnings that He gave them. They went after false idols and became false. And they followed the nations that were around them, concerning the Lord commanded them that they should not do like them.
0: Thank you. We'll stop right there for the moment. So we have the nation of Israel. And it's very clear, it's a very sad story, that the king of Assyria came... And took Samaria, took Israel and carried them away because they had sinned. They persisted in their sin. They persisted in setting up images and groves and idols and doing the things that God had told them not to do. They followed vanity and became vain and went after the heathen that were round about them concerning whom the Lord had charged them that they should not do like them. An amazing, a sad, and yet a profound account. Now, I want to tell you what happens in the verses in between. After they were carried away, here were their cities. Here was Israel left kind of vacant. And and uh, so the king uh, that had came and captured them, he sent some people back to kind of take care of the land and, and kind of watch over things since... All the people of the land had been carried away captive or else killed. And what happened is the people who came back and, and began to live in the land, they, they worshipped and they did idolatry and God sent lions and killed people. And so this heathen king said, Wow, we've got problems. We better send someone there to teach them about the God of the land. The God of the people that used to be there so this won't keep happening. So He sent some people to do that. And so now we have another people who are, I'm going to call, half-converted. They're halfway Christians. They kind of got taught about God, but they weren't totally serious. Let's read about it, rather than me just telling you about it. We'll begin reading at verse 28 and read... Actually, I'd like to begin reading at verse 25... And read clear to the end of the chapter. That's several verses I know. But go ahead, uh, Annika, and you can start, and then we'll circle around here and and come down through Esther and on across with the men. Go ahead. And so it was
1: at the beginning of their dwelling there that they feared not the Lord. Therefore, the Lord sent lines among them which slew some of them. First, the said to the king of Assyria saying, the, the nations which thou hast removed in place. In the cities of Samaria know not the manner of the, of the god of the land. Therefore he hath sent lions among them, and he would them, because they know not the manner of the god of the land. And the king of Assyria commanded, saying, Carry to the earth one of the priests whom ye brought from Fit, and let them go and dwell there, and let them teach them on the manner of the god of the land. Then one of the priests, who may carried away from Samaria, came and dwelt in Bethel, and taught them how they should fear the Lord. How be it, every nation made gods of their own, and put them in the houses of the high places which the Samaritans had made, every nation in their cities wherein they dwell. And the men of Babylon made Sakas down, and the men of Cups made Negro, and the men of Hamath made the And the Avites made Niphaz and Hopath and the Zerubites burnt their children in fire. Through and the gods of So
0: they feared the Lord and made unto themselves of the lowest of them priests of the high
1: places, which sacrificed for them in the houses of the high places. They feared the Lord and served their own gods after the manner of the nations the whom they carried away from tent. Unto this day, unto this day they do after the former manners. They fear not the Lord, neither do they after his statutes, nor after the, their ordinances, or after the law and the commandments which the Lord commanded, <coughs> commanded the children of Jacob, whom he named Israel. With whom the Lord had made a covenant, and charged them, saying, Ye shall not fear other gods, nor bow yourselves to them, nor serve them, nor sacrifice to them. But the Lord, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt with great power and a stretched-out arm, to Him shall ye fear, and Him shall ye worship, and to Him shall ye do sacrifice. And the statutes and the ordinances and the law and the commandments which He wrote for you, ye shall observe to do for, to do for evermore. And ye shall not fear other gods. And the covenant that I have made with you, ye shall not forget, neither shall you fear other gods. But the Lord your God ye you shall fear, and he shall deliver you out of the hand of all your enemies. Howbeit they did not hearken, and they did, but they did after their former manner. So these nations feared the Lord, and served their great images, and their children in their children's children, and instead their fathers, so did they to this day. Isn't
0: that an amazing account? The very thing that had happened to the children of Israel and they got carried away. And now here we have some people and they're having trouble, so, so there's some, some people sent, a priest that had been carried away, one of God's people sent back to teach the people how to, how to fear God so they won't have problems. Verse 28 that we read says, This priest came and taught them how they should fear the Lord. What a task that man had. And oh, what sad mixed up results. Verse 32 says, So they feared the Lord. That's on one hand. And made unto themselves of the lowest of them priests of the high places, which sacrificed for them in the houses of the high places. Verse 33, They feared the Lord. And served their own gods, after whom the manner of the nations of whom they had been carried away from thence. Until this day, they do after their former manners. Can you see how ridiculous that is? They feared the Lord and served their own gods. That is Satan's sweet substitute. And he'd like to tell you this afternoon, it's just a sidecar. You can, you can have some things... You, you, can, uh, you can follow the Lord Jesus. Just keep that sticker on your life. Just keep that Jesus sticker on your life. And that will sanctify whatever you're doing. But God says it's a straight gate and a narrow way. And Satan's looking for a truck-eating hole in your life. And he wants to hang you on by a chain that's tied to a lie you think you can't escape from or you think is no big deal I'm going to ask for no I'm not going to ask for a volunteer I think I'm going to pick a couple of you JT why don't would you come up here please Courtney maybe you would come up here too would you mind letting me put this handcuff on you I'm not trying to couple you two together. I'm just trying to, to use this as a purpose of illustration. I was thinking about this subject and I mentioned to my wife the other day that I just wish I had a pair of handcuffs and she came home with a pair of toy handcuffs. But I want you to think about that. And I'm not going to dwell long here. But I'll tell you, I don't know what it is in your life. You can walk on out there to the end of the chain here. I don't know what it is in your life. I'm going to go over some things that I have on my list. Would you mind just... just? uh, I don't want to make this too light, even though there may be some humor in this illustration, but there's actually tragedy in this illustration. And some of it has been real in your own lives. And here's some things that I just think, some of the things that have become idols. And I appreciate you two volunteering here, uh, or cooperating, I should say. But the biggest, perhaps the worst idol of all, you know, I took these these subjects that I was given and I gave them to my own children, my own son and daughter and daughter-in-law and, and son-in-law. And I asked them, I said, what do you think would have been some areas in these subjects in your lives that might have... That might have uh, you know what what thoughts would you have i 'd like to be relevant you, you have a better understanding maybe of the you haven 't been that long out of your teen years, and what would have helped you? What would have blessed you and and I got a lot of good input from them, but you know one of the things and I really appreciated this, one of the things that was at the top of my my son 's list when he spoke about idolatry, he said "Dad, self I think that 's the biggest idol of all he said i think that 's that's probably the, the number one, and he had a number of others. But he said, I think it's the worst, worst of all, and he said, I think it's also the hardest to dethrone. And I think he's right. Self, my way, my will, my Jesus, my style, my opinion, my Christianity, my flavor. It's that old stubborn pride that says, I'll do it my way. And it's actually self. It's pride that has, that's the chain that's holding that thing around your foot or around your wrist. Self. I'm going to mention some others. Some of these have been mentioned, lots of them already. I'm just going to go down through to prompt your own mind. I may not mention yours. I've mentioned some of these already. The brethren this morning have mentioned some of these, but it might be for you following professional sports, or it might be your own sports, skiing, snowboarding, basketball, volleyball, golf, riding motorcycles, riding snowmobiles, hunting, fishing, whatever it might be. All those things aren't all wrong, I know that, but I'm asking you, has it become an idol in your life? It might be clothes. It might be vehicles. Your new car, your new truck. I know I mentioned some of these yesterday, but I'm going to mention them again. It might be pride in my denomination, or it just might be pride in my lack thereof. My lack of a denomination. It might be my house. It might be my decorations. It might be my truck. It might be, it might be my education. It might be my connectivity. Facebook, MySpace, texting, whatever it might be. You know, I've thought of this and I'm, you know, I've thought of how amazing this, uh, this, some of these words are that kind of have secondary meanings, you know, like the internet and some of those things and the web and so forth. But MySpace, I've thought about MySpace.com and it always, here's what I always think of when I think of that. It's MySpace don't come. You keep your hands off my connectivity. That's my private thing. My space don't come. No one else has a right to touch with that unless I invite you, of course, to be connected with me. How dare you question my connectivity? But it can become idolatry. My heart is not to keep you from blessed and edifying connectivity. That's not my heart. But I'm telling you, I think the social networks are a snare. And I'm warning. I want to sound that warning. Making money. The Bible says covetousness is idolatry. It's idolatry. What about music? Maybe it's Christian rock. You know, there's a friend of mine that I know. It's a man I've got to know. And he said, Christian rock. And he's not at all from our background. But he said... And I want to say this, and you think about it. I challenge you. I know some of you are going to question this, but you think about it. He said, you might as well say Christian pornography. Come on, it's from the pit of hell. There's no such thing. I will stand and say that today. I believe that with all my heart. I'm not saying there's no Christian that has ever delved into that world. But I'm saying it's not right. It's strange fire upon the altar, and I I believe it's idolatry. Jesus said this, do men gather figs? Of thistles? Do you expect to go grab a thorny thistle and get a tasty, juicy, sweet fig off of there? Of course not. Are your wrists sore? Thank you. Let these two cooperators loose. I don't know what it is in your life. You know, isn't it ironic? Actually, it's maybe not so ironic, but isn't it amazing? How many of you have had an advertisement? Why don't you download a ringtone from who? The American Idols. Shame. That's no sidecar. That's Satan's sweet substitute. The American idols. And I'll tell you, men gather in stadiums and worship idols. Worship stars that are paid huge amounts of money, many of them living wicked and immoral lives. And we lust after that kind of idolatry. That's shame. Music, be careful. Maybe it's a little secret sneak peek of an image on my cell phone or on the internet. Just a little secret image, just every now and then. It's already been mentioned. Maybe for you it's, the, it's just this love of novels. It's kind of an escape a world I can get into. Maybe it's the movies. Maybe it's the shopping trips, the catalogs, online shopping. Maybe it's my intelligence and my ability to debate and to intimidate other people by my intellectual ability to, to, uh, to stand up other people because I can intimidate them. That can become an idol in your life. Maybe it's food or drinks. Maybe it's computer gaming. Maybe it's expensive vacations. Maybe it's exercise and diet and my physique and and just keeping myself... I'm not saying all those things are wrong. But they can become an idol. Look at the millions that are paid in America for a gluttonous society to go belong to some exercise club. Maybe it's being in the right company at the right events. In the right crowd, in the right carload, popularity can become an idol. Maybe it's my career. Maybe it's a dark, secret sin that you think no one else would understand or would have the ability to help you with. An idol. Tormented from the tent floor. Tormented from the furniture. And ponder these things later. Take a look at them. There's a mirror there. There was kind of a symbolism in my mind. I didn't get them all. The keys to whatever you think so great. Myself, my popularity, sounding a trumpet before me. Maybe it's the electronics. Maybe it's the mirror and the hours I spend in front of that thing, getting everything just right. Maybe it's just myself. Maybe it's this music. This is actual music that a young person brought to me. These are the papers out of them. And said, I don't even have the strength. Would you destroy these for me? And I did. I broke them and threw them in the dumpster. But I kept the papers for future reference. That's been some years ago. But there they are. You judge for yourself. You may think I'm narrow. You may think I'm legal. But I'm telling you, I'm telling you, there's too much of this out there. There's too many people that have their wrists in a handcuff because of these kind of compromises. Well, I thought about what Brother Anthony said this morning about Ebenezer. Ebenezer. I couldn't think exactly where that was and Brother Kurt looked it up for me. But Ebenezer was, when the ark of God returned to Israel, the men of Kerjath jerim were courageous men. And they said, the glory of God is gone. We want to bring it back. And they went and got it back. And, and uh, after that, the Philistines came against them again. And, and God thundered upon them with a great thunder, the enemies of God. And they were discomfited. And there was a great victory. And Samuel, that's when he said he, he called the name of that place Ebenezer. And it means, hitherto hath the Lord helped me. And I'm praying that you'll have Ebenezer this week. But I want to tell you about another word. I want to compare two words. There's another word, and the other word is Ichabod. Ichabod. I'll tell you what happened at Ichabod. At Ichabod, the priest, in Israel at that time was a man named Eli, and he was an old fat man, and he, he was heavy, the Bible says. And, and he had participated in all kinds of indulgence, and he knew God's law, but he wasn't serious enough about it. He had a couple of sons that were priests in the temple. And the Bible says that they took flesh that didn't belong to them. They were partaking of meat that wasn't theirs to eat. Not only that, but they were living with immorality. The Bible says they lay with the women in the gate. Maybe for someone else it's on the screen. The Word of God says that God looked down on that scene. And this old Eli who was supposed to be a good priest, God condemned him. He said, I said that you would abide a priest your house forever, but now be it far from me. I'm, I'm taking that away because... His sons made themselves vile, and He restrained them not. He didn't lift up His voice. He did. You can read about it. He said, oh no, sons, that's not a good report I'm hearing. That's not too good I'm hearing these things about some of you. But you know, I hope you'll get more serious than that. That's not a real good report. God says, do something about it. And so what happened was the Philistines came and the ark of God, which represented the presence and the glory of God, was taken. And there was a a wife of one of those two evil priests. And she was expecting a child. And when she heard the news that the ark of God was taken, the Bible says that she went into labor right then. Her pains came upon her. And she bowed herself and she delivered a son And she called his name Ichabod. And then she died. Ichabod means the glory is departed. What's it going to be for you? What are you going to go home with? What kind of a memorial are you going to have? Are you going to have an Ebenezer or an Ichabod? Ebenezer was when the ark of God returned to its place. And the glory and the presence of God was right there within the tabernacle. Ichabod was when the ark was taken because of compromise and sin. Idolatry. Competing affections. Satan's sweet substitute. I pray that you can have an Ebenezer. The glory of God in your life. Not just a house that's empty and swept and garnished so that seven other spirits come in, worse than the first, but rather the glory and blessing of a filled house. A house that's filled with the blood, cleansing, life-blessing Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise God. Well, Not quite done with this thought of idolatry. Turn with me to another passage of Scripture I'd like to look at together. Ezekiel chapter 14. As you're turning there, I'd like you to say with me the last verse of the first letter, the epistle of 1 John. Say it together with me out loud. Here we go. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. Ezekiel 14. Sorry, I turned to Isaiah 14. Ezekiel 14. There's a very amazing thing going on here. I think I'll go ahead and read it for the sake of time. I want to read verses 1-11 through 11 and I want you to notice. Some things here that can help you and some warnings as well. Here's the prophet Ezekiel. And he says, Then came unto me certain of the elders of Israel unto me and sat before me. And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, these men have set up their idols in their heart and put the stumbling block of their iniquity before their face, should I be inquired of at all by them? Therefore speak unto them and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, every man of the house of Israel that setteth up his idols in his heart and putteth the stumbling block of his iniquity before his face and cometh to the prophet, I the Lord will answer him that cometh according to the multitude of his idols. that I may... Take the house of Israel in their own heart, because they are all estranged from Me through their idols. Therefore, say unto the house of Israel, Thus saith the Lord God, repent and turn yourselves from your idols, and turn away your faces from all your abominations. For every one of the house of Israel, or of the stranger that sojourneth in Israel, which... "...separateth himself from me, and setteth up his idols in his heart, and putteth the stumbling block of his iniquity before his face, and cometh to a prophet to inquire of him concerning me. I, the Lord, will answer him by myself, and I will set my face against that man, and will make him a sign and a proverb, and I will cut him off from the midst of my people, and you shall know that I am the Lord." And if the prophet be deceived when he hath spoken a thing... I, the Lord, have deceived that prophet, and I will stretch out My hand upon him and will destroy him from the midst of My people Israel, and they shall bear the punishment of their iniquity. The punishment of the prophet shall be even as the punishment of him that seeketh unto him, that the house of Israel may go no more astray from Me, neither be polluted any more with all their transgressions, but that they may be My people, and I may be their God, saith the Lord God." So you can picture this scene. It's an amazing scene. Here's Ezekiel. And actually the elders of Israel, of all things, came before him and God spoke to him as these elders were before him, coming to inquire of him because he was a prophet of God. And God said, before those elders said anything, God said to Ezekiel in his heart, Son of man, these men have set up idols in their heart. And they've placed the stumbling block of their iniquity Before their face. Now there's a real key there. I want each of you to pause a moment and you identify in your own heart what you know has the potential to be the stumbling block of your iniquity, your own idol. These men have set it up in their heart, God said not only that, but they placed the stumbling block of their iniquity before their face. You'll never get victory, friend. As long as you keep putting the stumbling block of your iniquity before your face. What did Jesus say? If thy right hand offend thee. What did He say to do? Cut it off. And cast it from thee. Get rid of it. It's profitable for thee. This is your... Savior that said this. It's profitable for you. It's a good thing for you. It'll help you that one of your members should perish, that you take a saw and cut off and leave a big bloody spot and throw that arm away. Then that both of your hands would be cast into hellfire. And if your eye is offending you, I don't know if it's a screen or a phone or the sidewalk or what it might be or the magazine or the novel or whatever it might be, that shopping rack, I don't know what it is for you, but if your eye offends you, this is your Savior speaking. What did He say? Pluck it out. How do you get more radical than that? Pluck it out and cast it from thee. It is profitable for thee. It would be the best thing that could happen for you that you would lose an eye than that both your eyes would be cast into hellfire where their worm dies not and the fire is not quenched. These men have set up idols in their heart. God says, I'll tell you, I'll answer a man that comes and tries to speak to me when he's got an idol in his heart. I'll set my face against that man. I'll set my face against that man. Because the Lord wants our total devotion. I want to give you a little tip. Proverbs says this. I can't give you the address of this quote. You look it up. It says this. Look not at the wine when it's in the cup. When it gives its color in the cup. When it moves itself aright. You know what he's saying? Whatever your idol is, whatever your passion is, whatever that thing is that is gripping you, don't look at it in the cup when it gives its pretty red color, moves itself aright, what's the Bible say? At the last, it bites like a snake. It bites like an adder. It'll kill in the end. In the end, it'll kill. Don't set the stumbling block of your iniquity before your face. Don't set up that idol in your heart. Take some radical steps of action. The only people, I believe, in these last days that are going to be successful, serious Christians are the ones who are willing to get radical. The Bible makes it clear. You make a study of whether it's going to get easier or more difficult for Christians to be true Christians in the last days. It isn't even a question in the Word of God. Paul told Timothy, "...this know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, that means without any self-control, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof, from such turn away." For of this sort are they that creep into houses. Is there something creeping into your house? Is there some voice creeping into your house? It may be coming in electronically. I don't know, but of this sort are they that creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sin led away by divers' lusts. And I might say silly men also laden with sin that are easily led away by divers' lusts. The last days, make no mistake about it, because iniquity shall abound, the Bible says, the love of many shall wax cold. We don't want to go home with a cold love, friends. May God bless you. I want to look in conclusion at a youth with purpose in the Bible. Second Chronicles 34. Turn with me here. 2 Chronicles 34. This is my prayer for you. I want to read three sections here in this chapter. This is King Josiah. He was a youth with purpose. I just want to tell you. I just want to take a couple minutes and finish this up if I can because it's a burden on my heart. Josiah... Look at the first verse, was eight years old when he began to reign. And when he had reigned in Jerusalem, and he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. He did that which is right in the sight of the Lord, and walked in the ways of David his father, and declined neither to the right hand nor to the left, no side cars. For in the eighth year of his reign, verse 3, while he was yet young, that means he was 16 years old, younger than any one of you here. Sixteen years old. In the eighth year of his reign, while he was yet young, he began to seek after the God of David, his father. And in the twelfth year, so now he's 20, 20 years old, the age of some of you, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem from the high places and the groves and so forth. <clears throat> Keep reading a little farther. <clears throat> and the carved images and the molten images and they break down the altars of Balaam. This is a youth with pers- purpose. In His presence and and the images that were on high above them, He cast down, cut down in the groves and the carved images and the molten images. He break in pieces and made dust of them and strode upon the graves of them that had sacrificed to them. And He burnt the bones of the priests upon their altars and cleansed Judah and Jerusalem. And so did He in the cities of Manasseh and Ephraim and Simeon, even unto Naphtali with their mattocks round about. And when He had broken down the altars and the groves and had beaten, The graven images into powder and cut down all the idols throughout all the land of Israel. He returned to Jerusalem. This was a youth with prothesis. This was a twenty-year-old king, a young man, and he got a vision of serving God. And he didn't turn to the right hand to the left. He tore down the idols of Israel, and he didn't just stop at home. He, He just just right in his own room. He he took care of everything that would have an effect upon his kingdom. He was thorough, and he ground it to powder notice verse well I'd like to notice verse 8 but I won't after he did that he began to repair the house of the Lord he didn't just leave it empty he started repairing that verse 19 says after he heard the words of the reading of the law of the Lord he, he was growing in his knowledge he rent his clothes he tore his clothes He said, we're we're in bad shape. We've been compromising. Praise God. I'm praying that God's going to raise up some youth with purpose like that that are serious enough to tear some clothes and to tear down some idols and to stamp some things to powder and get rid of them and get serious and take some action in serving God because it's going to be the steps of action, not the verbal commitments that make a difference as we go from this place to our home. Verse 27. Here's what God said. Here's what God said to this man. Because thine heart was tender, and thou didst humble thyself before God, when thou heard His words against this place and against the inhabitants thereof, and humbledest thyself before me, and did rend thy clothes and weep before me, I have even heard thee also, saith the Lord. Behold, I will gather thee to thy fathers, and thou shalt be gathered to thy grave in peace, neither will you see all the evil.